This morning we um, are going to jump into Acts 2 and this most famous of events in the early church called Pentecost. And so uh, Pentecost itself was, uh, is referred to in the Old Testament as the Feast of Weeks. And so if you see in the Old Testament the Feast of Weeks, you won't see Pentecost in the Old Testament, but you'll see the Feast of Weeks. That's the same thing as Pentecost in the New. Now, Israel had festivals much like we do today, except theirs were almost always tied to uh, a religious thing, a religious celebration. Sometimes they were tied to harvest and things like that as well. Um, but uh, but uh, we, we're used to that. As a matter of fact, if you had said 10 years ago, McDowell County or Marion, North Carolina would be known for Bigfoot. I never would have believed that, right? We're known for a lot, which is not loads to brag about, but Bigfoot. And so, uh, believe it or not, 44,000 people estimated showed up for the Bigfoot Festival this year. Uh, that's the same number of people who live in our county. So, that just gives you some idea of what a big deal Bigfoot is around here. Well, um, the, uh, the, there were two big celebrations that people traveled to Jerusalem for. One was Passover, and 50 days later, that's Pentecost. That's where you get the name Pentecost, the New Testament name. 50 days later is Pentecost. And uh, the one that got the most traffic into town was not Passover. It was Pentecost because 50 days later, the weather was much better, made it easy to travel. So hordes of people would come to Jerusalem for this week of celebration. And that's what's going on in Acts 2. Loads of people are in town celebrating Pentecost. Now, through the years, the Israelites had connected uh, the Feast of Weeks, what is known as Pentecost, with other historical events in their history. It isn't to say that they were accurate in the connection of them or that they could prove a historical connection, but it become to be uh, uh, considered part of this Feast of Weeks now known as Pentecost. Here are the three major things they connected to it. Noah and the rainbow. The promise of the rainbow given to Noah. The second thing they connected to the Feast of Weeks Moses on the mountain, receiving the Ten Commandments. The third thing they connected to the Feast of Weeks, Ezra, when he comes back from exile and he restores the covenant. All three of these have a common thread that run through them. They are the fulfillment of a promise. They are the fulfillment of a promise. And so if you're Jesus and Jesus is doing what he does, and if you're God and you're orchestrating these events, right, would you not send the, get this, promised Holy Spirit, not on Passover, but on this day? And that's what happens. It's as if the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is say, hey, you thought that rainbow was something? I'll show you. You thought God showing up on the mountain to Moses was some big deal? And it was. I'll show you. You 
thought that Ezra coming back out of exile and restoring the law was major, and it was, I'll show you, God came down through the Spirit at Pentecost, and that's what we're going to look at today. So we're talking about when God comes I want to say to you this morning that if you are here this you are here and God has never personally come into your life. He has never personally made your heart his home. My desire for you is that before you leave today, your heart will have a new resident, that your life will have a new boss that your existence will have new purpose because God has come to make your heart his home. If you do not know Jesus, I would say to you, he longs, he longs to make your heart his home. So let's look at what happens when God comes. Number one, when God comes, he fills the empty. He fills the empty. Look at this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, cities full of people, Jerusalem is, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven. So they all, that would be the 120 who went to the upper room, uh, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. All right, let's think about what we're discovering about the Spirit coming. We've got wind and fire. What do we know about wind and fire? You cannot control either one, right? It's hard to harness wind. It's hard to control fire. And so we discover about God from just Pentecost that he is well beyond our ability to contain. When God works, we know it because he is powerful. Wind accompanied appearances of God in the Old Testament four or five times. The noise was not wind. Did you get that? The noise was not wind, but sounded like it. The sight was not fire, but resembled it. That's important to note. Why? Why does Luke describe it this way? Go all through the the Bible, and you'll discover when they try to describe God, they fall short. How do we know? In the early, in the, in the law, in the early part of the Bible, God shows up and the writer, I think it's in Numbers, but the writer who tries to describe it only describes the ground on which he stood. Come on, man, you saw the, the vision of God and you're just going to give me what the ground looked like? But then you get to Isaiah, and in the year that King Isaiah 6, Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. All right, I'm ready. Isaiah, give give it to me. Well, let me talk about the hem of his robe. What? Isaiah describes the hem of his robe, the train of his robe, filled the temple, right, and smoke. And there's all of these things, but we don't get a picture of God. Why? Because God is indescribable. You cannot with any language, be it English, be it Hebrew, be it Greek, be it Aramaic, you cannot with any language describe God. He is beyond description. I love this Jewish prayer. Oh, God, how can we know you? 
Where can we find you? You are as close to us as breathing, yet you are farther than the farthermost star. That is God. In theology, we have words for this. We call it the transcendence of God, his otherness. He is beyond us. And we call it the imminence of God, his nearness. He's close to us. God is both transcendent. He is above anything we could ever think or imagine. And he is near to us. You say, how near? Let's look at fire for a moment. In the Old Testament, fire showed up three really critical times. When Moses is called to lead Israel out, how does God speak to him through a what? It's a burning bush, right? It catches on fire. It never goes out. God speaks to him through a burning bush. And then, and then when God's going to lead Israel all around in the wilderness and finally get them to the promised land, right, so they don't have GPS or iPhones yet, so when you don't have GPS or iPhones, hopefully somebody gets you from point A to point B, and it's God through a pillar of what? Fire. Fast forward to the most beloved Elijah, that great prophet, right? He has the showdown on the mountain. It's, it, it's, it's hilarious, and it's amazing all in one. It's, it's just really remarkable. So Elijah goes up on the mountain, and when he does, what is it that he calls down from heaven? It's fire. It's fire. This is not unusual to the Jews in this room. The Jews in the, in the upper room, these Israelites, they knew the story of fire, and they knew that God showed up in this way. But look at this. This is where it's different. It rested on each one of them. Mount Sinai, when Moses went up on the mountain, was from God to Moses to the people. This is God to the people. This is huge on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, then that begs the question, how did they feel before this? Well, we know from the ascension, when Jesus ascended, that they stood gazing into heaven. They missed him. He was their leader he was the miracle worker. He was, as we sang earlier this morning, the way maker. He was all of that, and they had seen rather remarkable things, and they had heard him teach amazing things, and now their teacher, their healer, he's gone. He's nowhere to be found. He's ascended, and they had to be a bit forlorn and weary. God filled their empty hearts with himself. Can I say something to you this morning? I believe this. God longs to fill your empty hearts too. We all fill our hearts with things that never fill us. All right, if any of you have any investments, well, 2019 was a great year, right? The market did just north of 20%. You're looking at your portfolio thinking, wow. But do you know what many of you are thinking? I hope I don't lose it in 2020. Yeah, it's just a short-lived celebration. Why? Because it's still not yet enough. Some of you got promoted at work, but you still feel empty. Others, you have the girl or the guy of your dreams, but he or she still does not feel this nagging emptiness in your heart. 
Some of you turn to alcohol. You turn to, uh, to over-the-counter meds. There, there are these ways that you self-medicate and you, you, um, you, you rationalize it. It's not really alcoholism. It's, it's not really whatever it may be. And at the end of it all, when it's worn off, you still feel empty. Some of you seek to satisfy that nagging feeling of emptiness with sexual escapades. They may be private or they may be with another person. Could I say to you this morning, God longs to fill your empty hearts. He longs to. When God comes, he fills the empty Number two, when God comes, he qualifies the unqualified. Notice what happened. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the sound of what? The wind, the fire, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Don't miss this. When the Spirit filled them, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready to serve. The sermon doesn't allow me to delve into this completely, but the big debate around this that is often distracted from the fact that God came, and that's what this is all about, but the big debate is, was this an intelligible language at Pentecost, or were these tongues that Paul addresses in his letter to the Corinthians? So I'm just going to say to you where I land on this and why. I land on that here, Paul, uh, uh, Luke is referring to intelligible language, and I'll give you the word in a minute to give you why I think that is. Uh, so, so what happens here in these verses, the word for language is dialectos, means everyone was hearing them speak in their own dialect. Now, the first word tongue is glossolia, which is the same word in the Corinthian passage, all right, so I know that, but it's just that when it is described, it is described as dialects after that. It's described as a real bona fide language. And when these people who had trekked away and had now come back hear it, when they hear it, they're bewildered. I love this word, bewildered. All five occurrences occur in the Bible in the book of Acts. Why is that? Can I say something to you this morning? If God's work in the church never bewilders us, he's not working in the church. If God's work in the church never bewilders us, if, you, if you're so far from the fire that there's never a wonder, there's never an awe, there's never a, oh my goodness, that couldn't have happened unless God was doing it, then God may not be doing it. It could be our own efforts. It could be our own capacities. It could be our own intellectual gifts or our leadership gifts or our musical gifts. It could be you and me and not God. They were bewildered. I love this next thing. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
Galileans were not known for their intellect. They're from the wrong side of the track. Are they not who are speaking Galileans? Let me tell you what happened to me in Ecuador. I speak Spanish fluently, and uh, so when I go to Ecuador, I'm an interpreter. That's what I do. Well, I'm in Ecuador this past summer, and uh, the pastor, two days before the service, said, I want you to preach Sunday morning. Well, there's nothing like a good prep time. You give me two days, I'm supposed to preach. And normally when I preach down there, I do preach in Spanish, but it can't happen that day. I'm not prepped up, ready. So Gustavo, who is uh, also a, preaches at times, he's my interpreter. And so Gus says, Jerry, I'm, I'm going to interpret for you. That works. So I pray, God gives the passage, and I'm ready to roll, and I begin to preach. I think it was from the Psalms, don't remember where, but I'm preaching through. And so I'm in English, and Gustavo was amazing. So I'm in English, and of course he's in Spanish, English, Spanish, back and forth. Fairly large church that, uh, that we're in, uh, and uh, as I would move on stage, he'd just move right with me. And when i go that way, he'd just go that way. And he and I are just like dancing together. You know, we're just getting it done. And something happened to me that's never happened to me before. I get to the part of the sermon where I'm going to clearly preach the gospel. This is where I'm going to explain the greatness, the mighty works of God through his son Jesus Christ where he died and he ascended and uh, he died and he resurrected and he ascended and he's going to return. And I'm just in the big way as occasionally I could get and I'm in the big way of preaching and do not realize that I switched to Spanish. And I switched to Spanish and for this length of time I'm completely preaching in Spanish. And I get finished, and I look at Gustavo, and he says, he looks at me like, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> and I realize that for that period of time, I was completely in their native language. Later, one of our interpreters, who's also a doctor, came up to me, and he said, Jerry, your Spanish was impeccable during that time. He said, the amazing work, that, and everybody was glued. Why? Don't you think maybe the Holy Spirit wanted them to get in their native language the deep love of Jesus for them? Don't you think that's what he wanted? And he just did that in that moment. I love this. Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Galileans had their own dialect, even different from from down in Jerusalem. Remember, that's how Peter got called out. It was his dialect. They had difficulty pronouncing certain sounds, and they had the habit of swallowing syllables. <laughs> like, you just knew one when you talked to them. Um, as a freshman, I went away to college, Wofford College down in Spartanburg, and I'm in Spanish 101. So I'm in Spanish 101, and, and, and I, I was born in East Tennessee, backwoods East Tennessee, like so far back, you're almost back in town. All right, so that's how backwoods I was. So born in Backwoods, Tennessee, moved to Old Fort when I'm in fourth grade. And my, if you had heard me speak then, you would have cracked up. And so there we go. And I'm sitting in Spanish. And day one, Professor Chavez, she says, what I want you to do is introduce yourself, your name, and where you're from. I'm like, all right. So we start going around the room. And it gets to me. And this is how I talked then. No lie. <laughs> I said, Hola. Mayamo Jury, Soy de Old Fort. 
you can laugh, it was bad. And she said, could you do that one more time? <laughs> well, I didn't catch what she was doing. So I said, Ola, Mayamo Jury, Soy de Olfort. And she just looks around and she said, just once more. <laughs> Being the good student that I was, I went for it. And then I thought, she's making fun of me. The very idea, right? I remember leaving that class that day and I thought, jury, you have to change how you talk. You got to do something about that. Do you know what's wild and crazy? Really, wild and crazy. That very professor would leave within, she was a good prof, but she would leave before my senior year. Summer of my senior year, the, the head of the Spanish department comes to me and says, Carmen Chavez was her name. She's left, and we had somebody to fill her spot. That person didn't work out. Could you teach Spanish 101 as, as a senior? So three years before, I'm Ola, me llamo jury. And three years later, I'm failing students. I'm kidding. I didn't fail anybody. I'm teaching the very class. I, I, I bet Professor Chavez thought, I never saw that coming. Right? That's what the people are thinking here. How is it that somebody who can't say their own language can speak so clearly in mine? How, how did that happen? I want to say something to you this morning. If you're in here and you sense God is calling you to ministry, praise the Lord. We need more men and women called to serve God. But can I say something to you? You are not called to a glamorous lifestyle. You're not called to be lifted up and to be on a pedestal. As a matter of fact, here it is. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 1, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I've had more than one prayer. I lie you not where I've said to God, God, you knew all this about me when you called me. Why did you call me? You knew me. You know me better than anyone. You know my weaknesses. You know my foolishness at times. When God comes, he qualifies the disqualified, the unqualified. Don't you love that? Number three, when God comes, he informs the ignorant. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. These are Jews who have been scattered, not scattered, as my note says. That's my fault. In the dispersion, but have returned to the city of Jerusalem. Now, when did that happen? Here's what's wild. That had happened 600 years before. So, in 586, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And when Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C., Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they got, they got exiled. P Jews got spread everywhere. It was an ugly time to live in Israel. And so when that happened, that scattering, did, they did not all come back. As a matter of fact, this may surprise you. It surprised me that by Jesus' day, an estimated one million Jews lived in Egypt by Jesus' day. 
Another one million lived in Persia, and that'd be modern-day Iran, and Asia Minor, by Jesus' day. Asia Minor, think Turkey. Persia, think modern-day Iran. Another million lived in that region. A hundred thousand lived in Italy by Jesus' day. The Jews had been scattered. Do you know what I love? These people had no way of knowing that when they were being scattered, they were laying the groundwork for the spread of the gospel. They had no way. They didn't know that as they were being scattered, the result of that would be one day they would trek back to Jerusalem on Pentecost and they would hear a message of the mighty works of God. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language is what they want to know. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So I'm going to, uh, uh, there you go. There's a map up on, and I'm going to see if my pointer will work here. I think we have it. And so Luke begins to describe all the people. He describes all the people. So this is a map of the Roman Empire when it was at its greatest. Look where all of this is happening, right there in Judea. It's all happening. What we're reading about in that tiny place. But when you read Luke's description, it's as if he goes around here, comes through here, goes down into here. He mentions Crete. He mentions Arabia at the end. And he mentions this section of Africa. All those people, day one, Peter's going to preach. We'll get into that next week. People from all these places, day one, hear the gospel. Wow. Unbelievable. How is it that tiny, tiny little Judea, that just that tiny little place, God's going to use it in such a way? What are the people hearing? The mighty works of God. And what are the mighty works of God? God came down. Like, and it's not Peter. Peter's going to get up and preach. We'll get to him next week. It's all the 120. Like, they're all saying it. And they're all, I mean, so God's got enough people in there to, so that everybody who walks up, all right, so I don't know exactly how this worked, right? It'd be like walking, you know, driving up to the drive through window at McDonald's and they know what you need before you ask. So they walk up, and when they do, and they're here, and, and they come, all of a sudden that new language goes out. And here comes somebody, and they speak this language. And all of a sudden, that language goes out. You say, why is it that they no longer spoke Hebrew, or at least Aramaic? Why did they not? They have been exiled for 600 years. There are multiple generation after generation after generation who had learned the language where they live now. And they're coming with that language and hearing the gospel in it so that they could go back in their own language and do what? Spread it. It's amazing. Amazing. But there's something more remarkable, all right? So we're getting to the finish line. Some of you are tired. Others of you are hungry. Some of you, I don't know what you are, but at any rate, here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to share something that goes into the head first now, and it's going to travel down through the heart and deep into the soul, I promise. So if your mind is checked out at all, sit back, sit up straight, right? Take it in. Here we go. We'll go all the way back to Genesis because something is happening here that's an undoing of something that once was done. Here we go. Back to Genesis. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. That's how it used to be. 
And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and body men for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be what, class? What does it say? Dispersed. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Last thing we want to do is scatter out. Where are they now? They're scattered. What tower is this they're going to build? What's it called? Babel. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. That's like having the ultimate building inspector show up. It's a little frightening. All right, if you've ever built anything, you don't want him. So he comes down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them. The Lord did what? From over, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God said, no way. But what does he say now? Yeah. Now let me take this language problem and reverse it. I confused your language because you thought you could do something for me. But now I'm going to fix the language problem because I have done something for you. That's the gospel. Wow. John Stott says beautifully, at Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly Descended to earth. Wow, oh wow, oh wow. You say, what do I do? You do what those people did once Peter preached. You, if you're hearing clearly the good news that though you are a sinner deep in sin, Christ is a Savior deep in forgiveness. That you hear that message and you respond and you receive Christ to forgive you of all of your sins. This may, may be your first Sunday ever here or it may be your 50th. You may be religious or you may not be. That's not my concern. My concern is do you know that there is sin that separates you from God and there is a Savior who came down to take that separation and to bridge the gap by dying on the cross as the perfect sinless sacrifice for your sins? Do you know that when he died three days later, he ascended, uh, he resurrected, and when he resurrected, he uh, uh, some 50 or so days after that ascended, and when he ascended, at Pentecost, he sent the Spirit. Every other religion is Babel. It is humankind's attempt to get to God. Go check them out. Every single religion has a list. This is what you got to do. Now do it. 
And you hope by the time you die, the good outweighs the bad. Every other religion is Babel. Christianity is God coming to man. When God comes, he fills the empty. He qualifies the unqualified. He informs the ignorant. How? On the cross, Jesus was emptied so that you might be filled. On the cross, Jesus was disqualified by your sin so that you might be qualified before Pilate. Jesus was ignorant so that you might be informed. Would you come to him? Would you receive Christ? Would you bow your heads? After this service, just like every service, we will have folks to your right waiting to pray for and with you. If you do not know Christ this morning, can I beg you, don't leave the way you came. Don't leave without receiving Christ. You say, Jerry, what do I do? Admit your sin. Believe that God sent Jesus to die for you. Trust God as a coming down kind of God and commit your life to him. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty simple prayer that you can pray to God in faith that goes like this, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. My sin separates me from you. Please forgive me. I believe you died and rose again for me today. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You say, Jerry, just like that? I can go from darkness to light, from being lost to being found? Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when Peter preached later, 3,000 people that day were saved. Father, I pray for these people. I'm so honored they came today to, to hear one disqualified by my own sinfulness, qualified by your grace, ignorant until you informed me, empty until you filled me. I'm glad and honored they're here. Draw them to yourself. Cause them to be born again into a living hope. Raise them up to walk uh, in a brand new life. Seat them with you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Fill them with your spirit. Accompany them through life. I pray for the teenager and the young adult. I pray for the married couple who are just struggling to survive. I pray, Father, 
for those who are confused. I pray for the religious who think they must dot every I and cross every T and hope you will accept them. May they all find their place kneeling at the cross this morning in their hearts, sorry for their sin, receiving forgiveness. And may they come share. I pray this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen.